Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. All right, so we're back this week. And it's, it's, it's going to be a week in review. We've had quite a few good episodes of Fire Off, uh, the start of Season 3. And we just got done with our second small game hunt of the season. Coming up on our third here. Hopefully we'll see you guys out there for that one. Before we do that, you know you've got me, your host, Will Krebs. Jordan here. Jake Bigby. Jim. John Taylor. Hunter Rotarius. And Briar. So just the usual crew plus a couple more. We picked up out there chasing squirrels, and we're going to have a good good talk about it. So I'm going to kick it off, and, man, let's talk about that small game hunt. The weather was not ideal for hunting squirrels, but we still managed to scrape out a few strange things like a hornet's nest. Well, John and I might disagree towards the end of the night. Yeah, yeah we started picking them off at the end of the day there. There was 30 minutes where the woods was... Whew, of course, we also had Cameron Gordon with us. That's true. That's <laughs> why. Florida's greatest small game hunter. That, that is why. The truck is backing up, and Home Jordan home. jumps out, and he's or Cameron jumps out, and he's like, a squirrel behind the truck. I'm like, how did you see that from the front of the truck? He's sitting in the front of the truck. I'm like, my goodness. The, the truck was still backing up yeah. when he bailed. <laughs> was he driving when he bailed? <laughs> no. no. <Okay. laughs> I was driving. You might think. But then we pulled up on a whole other section. Same thing, man. I got out and I forget what I was like, putting my keys away or something like that. And all of a sudden I see this flash go in front of the truck. <laughs> Cameron Gordon, not a squirrel again. So I, I stand by my previous statements that he is the evil reincarnation of Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> he just calls all the critters to him and that's it. They don't get to just be happy and jolly when they get there. They get to go in the pot. Yeah, yeah. That was my first time, actually, I spent the whole day with Cameron hunting, and I got to say it's one of the most enjoyable days I've had in the woods. He's just got a great personality, easy to get along with, you know, tells stories, talks about history, and, uh, but man, we had the worst time on doves. After y'all left, we got in the doves pretty thick. They came in for 15, 20 minutes. Um. One of them was bulletproof. I centered up a dove. We watched a perfectly round sphere of feathers go like like World War II ACAC, and that dove just kept right on trucking. I was like, if I didn't see that, I, I wouldn't have believed it. But, man, I think that we put down, between the two of us, a whole box of shotgun shells, doveless. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm actually, I just want to point something out. I'm picking up a little faint little bit of background noise. And if you guys are hearing that after we edit this and post it out there, it's because there's a heater running in the studio. There was a time when we were like, man, if only it would get cooler, it wouldn't be so hot in here. And now we're actually having to kick on a heater and I'm not going to apologetically turn it off because it's going to, it, it was earlier when I turned it on, it was 51 degrees in here. So now we've hit the other extreme of needing to put insulation in the walls and the ceiling a little better <laughs> to keep it warmer in here than, than cooler. But, uh, man, it's now we, cause we had, you know, that cold front pushed through on Saturday and that's why we had the kind of gloomy day. And I think it kept some people out of coming to the small game hunt because of the fear of rain. Uh, but it really didn't rain much sprinkled a little bit right around 10 o'clock. And then it kind of quit for the rest of the day. Yeah. Wasn't bad at all. It was a great day to be outside. It was. Yeah. It just wasn't great for hunting. Yeah. Like you said, the forecast threw everybody off. It was like 70% yeah. chance. Everybody's like, oh. I'll say it, it turned out to be a great day to trek around the woods because you were able to walk around all day long and you didn't have to break a sweat. Yeah. You weren't nope. dying. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we went to the first first field as soon as the hunt started, and I'm wearing like my late season pants. Cause I'm a Florida boy. I was freezing and we, we walk on this first thing. I keep asking Will, I'm like, man, how far are we walking? You know, he's like, you know, I get chub rub, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he's like, I'm like, how far are we walking? He's like, Oh, not far at all. Man, I got, I got the cameras and whatever else following all the guys, watch them swing and miss at dove. By the time <laughs> we got to the other side of the field, man, I'm like, look, I'm about to start a fire. <laughs> not to swap these, not to swap these pants out. Jordan was laughing at me. You're gonna be cold. I, I put on the thinnest pants I had. Thank goodness I brought them. I thought I'd burn a hole in those pants. It did get a little chilly walking across that field. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We we made the right decision to get online and, and cross that field because ain't no way we ever would have seen those doves. I had a feeling they were sitting down in that old food plot area, but you couldn't see them from you know the food plot was what. 200 yards 250 yards long probably like something like that 50 or 60 yards wide yeah couldn't see all the way across there now it's a miracle miracle that nobody shot a dang tweety bird um, <laughs> yeah there's a couple hundred of those because <laughs> they were <laughs> busting out of everywhere when we were walking that field and it catch you out of the corner of your eye they just come out like a dang quail you like flushing quail out of the dang tall grass but not even one person even kind of threw up shooting one I was surprised myself. I had a great time, and I didn't even have a shotgun with me. I didn't pull the trigger once all weekend. The dog did great. She picked up three doves, and I was happy. Yeah, I think we actually ended up getting into more small game going when we left after the after we all came back and checked in and, and had our little talk at 10 o'clock, and then we went back out and got lost trying to get back to that field. Yeah. And then I almost hit a dove with my truck going where we were going, had to turn around and come back. And we were coming back. It flew up out of the road. So I put the truck in park, got out of the truck, walked down the road, and bumped it again and shot it. Yeah. Then we got further down and had those mergansers on the pond. Yeah. And so I had to scramble to get my 12-gauge out of the back, get it loaded full of steel shot, and shot one of those, but she dove. Yeah. And then, then we finally made it back to the field. <laughs> Wandered around, went over that other food plot, shot at some doves over there, had those doves bump up and spin around on us, and Jim got a crow. Yeah. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. So just went to tell me, you know, Briar and I have centered up on a couple of crows where as we're piling it into them, you see the crow physically being hit. 
You see and, the feathers come off the crow. Yeah, crow just keeps on booking. One shot of number five lead. Don't do it. <laughs> Brown down. Graveyard dead. I hate steel ammunition. Mm-hmm. But, man, it was it was a lot of fun. Like you said, the weather was just right to keep you from getting too hot during the day. Yeah. Just kind of relax and hang out and enjoy being out in the woods. And Seminole Forest is an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous area. Did you guys ever make it back over to that burn? I don't know where the burn is. We... When we, when you guys left, that's when Cameron got and I got back into the doves. Then we drove around. We ran into John, who just had a whole stringer full of squirrels. And then later on, we went on a, for the last 30 minutes of shooting light, we went out looking for rabbits. And sure enough, we uncovered one. But um, we're driving the roads looking for them and we found one. But when I stepped on the, I saw it just as Cameron called it out. I stepped on the brakes real quick. Dirt road, truck skidded, rabbit, gone. But once again, Cameron Gordon knew where the rabbits would be and there were rabbits. So, How many rabbits you guys come out of there with? No, we only saw the one, but we didn't get a chance to take a shot at it. Well, so what was y'all's total take at the end of the day? Two we had, between two of us, we had six squirrels. One, and two doves. Camera had another two or three squirrels. Three squirrels. And two doves, I think. Yeah, and a crow. And a crow. We had a pretty good mixed bag, uh, all in all. No snipe. I don't think we've been. I walked around a few flags. We might have seen one see snipe it. at one point. I forget. But that's, yeah, no snipe. I still have yet to see one. Yeah. Water. Not, not even sure what I'm looking for. So the small game hunting in Seminole Forest was definitely a success. And then we still got another one coming up in Ocala. And I was talking to these guys earlier. I think I'm going for crows mm. up there. I, I got a plan, I think. I think I got a plan. Let's hear it. Uh, well, I'm not going to be at the morning rendezvous because there's a pond, I think, that got some wood ducks on it. I'm going to go get that. And then uh, I'll be that for the second rendezvous. And then maybe I'll go out and try to find some quail. There you go. Hey, you get lucky enough you can still duck on that weekend. Yeah, that's right. I'm a veteran. <laughs> you know, we've been chatting all about last week's small game hunt and haven't mentioned the Charles Bronson hunt, which we all had an enormous amount of success at. That's where we picked up Jake Bigby here and um, you know, strapping young, good-looking feller. What, what drew me to Jake, aside from his uh, – his manly looking beard his brother hunts with a 16 gauge and mm. anytime I see a feller in the woods with a 16 gauge my interest is peaked because only hunters use them no skeet shooters use them there's no there's no competitive 16 gauge shooting so <laughs> and then I don't know if you hunt with fours right yeah big old shot for squirrel what is that uh, so you're not you're not picking little pieces out or what's the purpose that's exactly why I use a fours so sevens you don't get through the branches, and then they're all in the meat. The fours go right through. Yeah, I bet they do. Hmm. So why a 16-gauge? That's a funny story. I got I did some welding on Come a guy's boat. Come in a little closer boat. to that, Mike. I did some welding on a guy's boat, and he said, I got this old shotgun if you want it. I said, sure, I'll take it. It comes out. It's a Browning A5 Sweet 16 made Ooh. in the 50s. And I said, I will take that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> So out of curiosity, you're a welder by trade? Yeah. yeah. I'll talk to you after the podcast. 
<laughs> Don't get too involved with him. Well, I mean, you know, it, it ain't keep, keep, keep the power on at your house. He, he could do that. Uh, but uh, 16 gauge is such a, I don't want to call it odd because it's a great shotgun, right? But it's not, it's uncommon. It's uncommon here in the States. You know, uh, over in Europe, they're very popular over there. Really? Yeah. My hmm. uncle swears by a 16 gauge for quail. Oh, I bet. He's like, a 12 is too big and, and 20 is too small. But that 16 is right. Where do you get 16 gauge shells at? You don't right now. Right. <laughs> there ain't, there's no, they're, they're nowhere. You reload? Yeah, start reloading them. I have to look into getting, trying to get a 16 gauge. I really like using a 20 gauge for squirrels and stuff like that. And then I, I've used a 20, I thought I'd use a 20 gauge for dove. Uh, and I pretty much reserve my 12 gauge just for duck hunting. But other than that, I mean, I love that little, I've got a little Ithaca pump uh, 20 gauge that I shoot, and that, that gun is sweet. Uh, I'm scared hunter near half to death. I've been thinking mm. by dropping down to a 28 gauge. I mean, I fortunately I can reload, but the only reason I was thinking about going 28 gauge is anytime I walk into any place that sells ammunition, no 12, no 20, no 410, but crates 28 gauge. Hmm. Really? All you want. Hmm. And it, huh? And if you've ever picked one up, you know how f- a lot of 410 shotguns, if they're dedicated 410s, are just they're light and sexy. Right. 28 gauge got that same feel, but it's got it's got it's got more the more bounce to the ounce. It. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's interesting. Man, so shotguns are are something that can just you can go way off into that. Oh, yeah. And you know what I'd really love to get my hands on and just shoot it just because? I'd love to shoot an old punt gun. <laughs> right? Because you see, I mean, you can still find them online. Can't hunt with them anymore. That doesn't mean I don't want to shoot it at something. A pumpkin. No, I want to line oh. up like a big old raft of dang decoys. Oh, just see how many decoys it. I can hit. So, hold on. what A what gun? A punt gun. Yeah. I, elaborate. I okay, so... In the days of market hunting, when they used to shoot ducks for feathers or birds for feathers, right, waterfowl, they would use this giant punt gun. Usually it's like a four gauge. And they'd be five, six, seven feet long. And they call them a punt gun because it's not a gun you shoulder fire. You mount it to the front of a punt, which was a little flat-backed boat they would row out into the marsh. And then water swat huge swaths of ducks off the water with them. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. That's pretty and They cool. were outlawed. Uh, I think they were actually outlawed in some states before market hunting was outlawed. Could, could you imagine yeah. duck hunting public land with a punt gun? Not anymore. We'd all we'd we'd all have no boats with holes in them and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anymore, yeah. Take that out to the marsh just to defend your just to defend your uh, your position. Yeah, you almost two, need I that. I said two hundred yards. Yeah. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> Yeah, one more chance. <laughs> but I think those guys use a, that punt gun on more than just ducks. I think the feather hunters used to use them to knock down roseate spoonbills and and oh yeah, it, it was anything they get feathers and, with. Yeah, anything they can get feathers out of. I'm sure that you could kill all that. What you couldn't make a hat out of, you can make pillows out of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they were throwing chain links in there, whatever they could get in that muzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, just boom. And a lot of those were muzzle loaded as well. Yeah. So it's not like you're putting a giant shell in there, which would be like a daggum artillery shell. Five gauge would be 
good lord, that, I think it's bigger than an inch. <laughs> yeah, that's a big old. And then some of the punt guns are one inch punt guns. Like they're not gauges anymore. Yeah. One inch. It's idiotic. I can't remember how they how they judge a, a gauge. It's twelve like a twelve gauge is stacks so many. There was something you stacked together to make a pound. It's how many spheres of that diameter, when stacked together, they go in a pound. Yeah. Hmm. So lead spheres. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're luckily we're well past market hunting days because we wouldn't be talking about shooting ducks. No. Because they wouldn't exist anymore. Yeah. But, so we had a huge, vastly different, you talked about the Charles Bronson small game hunt, vastly different weather-wise because we were out there huh, sweating. Man, it was hot. And then we go from that to a month later to freezing cold. I say freezing cold. I think it got up to 54 degrees. I was about to say, what was cold. it, 50? <laughs> yeah. Hey, it was in the 30s this morning. Yeah, it was. But that, that cold breezy day versus the hot sweaty humid day we had out there at charles bronson but how did y'all do out there at bronson yeah smashed them man squirrels anyway there were i didn't see any doves that day but i was on a mission just to knock down squirrels well we didn't have dove season open then either oh that's right yeah that's i right. saw plenty of doves but i couldn't shoot any of them <laughs> i could have brought in a limit of doves that day how many did you get that day jake you had a pass of them yeah i got a Nine of them at Bronson. Yeah. Nine squirrels. That's a good day. Dang. Man, I, sometimes I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I go out there, and I never come back with a bunch of squirrels. Well, you're also trying to entertain a six-year-old. Five-year-old? Five-year-old, yeah. yeah that, that That's a, that's a pretty severe handicap. Yeah, I had uh, quite a bit of wine going on that day because we got into some thick stuff mm. out there at mm. Charles Bronson. Wander across a cow pasture chasing one squirrel into the thickest dang palmettos and everything else you can <laughs> find to still not kill it. To have to wander back across the same cow pasture. But that's a that's definitely a, a different WMA. I've never been in something like that where they've got all those cows out there and there's a lot of pasture, but it was really beautiful. That's that old Florida ranch land look to it where the big, you know, the palmetto islands out in the middle of the cow pasture and the marsh mm. and stuff like that. It was absolutely gorgeous out there. And I want to go back. I wanted to go back uh, Monday when me when you and I went out to uh, Ocala on Martin Luther King Day, uh, but there there they have a specific small game season. It wasn't open then, so ended up out in Ocala wandering around. But man, we've had quite a few good episodes so far this season. Yeah, we kicked it off right off the bat after we finished out last season talking about our trip to Tennessee and. Ten thousand dollars was eleven thousand dollars worth of repairs to Dad's truck. Who <sighs> sheesh! And then we come from that into uh, coyote hunting. Jordan, tell us a little bit about that episode with the the coyote hunter. And that was just a jam up episode. <clears throat> we had uh, I had been following Garrett Johnson. Man, I've probably been following him on Instagram since two thousand thirteen or fourteen. And uh, he had just posted something one day, and I was like, dude, we need him on for an episode. Got him on. We struggled a little bit. We were supposed to have him one night, and then he didn't end up coming on. And I talked to him on the phone after that, and we got him, finally got him on. But he was just a real jam-up dude. Was He's a, I want to say he was the 
2018, I think you yeah, said. 2018 world champion national. And then 19 and 20 world champion. Mm. So he was, I mean, the dude kills. Jim asked him, he's like, how many coaches you kill this year? He's like, oh, I didn't do too bad. He said, I think this year I killed 100. I said, 100. Jesus. You definitely don't want your dog getting out of the yard with him around. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, no, he just had a real respect for the animals, too. I mean. Oh, yeah. Tremendous respect. You got to think you spend that much time pursuing that one animal. It's like any other deer hunter. Yeah. You spend. And he had had, at one point, uh, two pet coyotes. Well, they weren't pets because he wasn't legally allowed to keep them in his house. But he had captured them from the den as pups and then raised them That's outside wild. of his house. But he said he'll, he'll never do that again because they never knew real fear. So that ended up getting him killed. But Yeah, they went out wandering around places where people shoot coyotes. Yeah, got killed because they weren't afraid of people. But wow. it was it was super cool seeing him. Being able to, at that, you know, seeing him on Instagram, having the pups and everything. You can imagine all that you learn about that animal itself. Which we learned a lot about him from coyotes with stuff that I never knew. Like how they'll they'll cache food. They'll take something and then if they don't eat it, they'll take it somewhere and bury it. And then if there's a day where they aren't successfully hunt something, they'll go back and eat what they buried. Almost like they're they like uh like create a reserve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then learn too that they're not like the, these aggressive animals that people think they are, they're they're pure survivalists. They just do what they have to do to survive. All in general, cool learning about you know a creature that you think. Being in Florida, we don't have coyotes like they have in in Utah or those western states and stuff. So you think you know something about that animal, and then you have somebody that spent this much time, you know, pursuing them and generally enjoying that animal. But then you know you think about an animal that we pretty much probably all of us in this room enjoying is was whitetail. And then last week we talked about CWD and that's kind of a, that's, that's become a bigger thing. Cause I just found that uh, case in Alabama. That's Alabama's first case. And that's the first state bordering Florida that has had a case now. Mm-hmm. So CWD's becoming creeping in. That's, it's more of a becoming more of a reality to something yeah. in Florida that we need to watch out for. Yeah, we got to yeah. be careful because we could go do another whole hour on CWD and <laughs> how, where, when it comes from. Though one of the guys uh, was on the followed up. Um, um, oh my goodness, Ryan uh, came in with the chapel. He oh. he he was unaware of CWD. He's not a deer hunter, right? He actually found our our podcast about CWD really informative, and then he's a pretty inquisitive fellow himself so he started looking into it and kind of going down a rabbit hole on where to come from what's it do so we're actually out there educating the public so there's another thing going on with cwd right now where they're actually trying a, a legal case in minnesota uh there was a, a deer farmer who had deer in his herd test positive for cwd and then he kills them takes them out and dumps them on like this 10 acre parcel on public land just leaves them there gets caught admits to it the state tells him he has to fence clear all the trees 
and fence this area off so we lose 11 acres of public land not a big deal but it is it's still 11 acres of public land that you can't hunt anymore uh and then he refuses to do it so then the state does it and then they want to charge him one hundred ninety-four thousand dollars for the fence after dumping it and he refuses to pay that so now you've got this case going into court right now uh and it's being watched closely by a lot of state officials to see how this gets this this gets prosecuted. And if you want my opinion, they need to throw the freaking book at that dude. Ditto. They need to bury him. Otherwise, you've just created. Set the tone if there's, for yeah. Otherwise, you just else. give it a permission slip. Right. He was just popping these deer and throwing them out there on the public land, just letting them rot. Like this, that right there is a classic case of why they put the laws in place. You cannot cross state lines with these carcasses. It's okay. It was only a minor incursion into public land. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except, yeah, you're right. 11 acres. Woohoo. But you know what? You know how excited I'd be if somebody had 11 acres? Like, hey, you want to come hunt my place? Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> somebody had 11 acres of private ground. Like, oh, well, all I have is 11 acres. I'm like, that's great. That's fine. Uh, how well do you know your neighbors? I'm like, do you have mm-hmm. the CWD deer? I'll kill those too. I mean, it is what it is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't dump them here. <laughs> you know, that's actually a good question that we could ask because. You kill a lot of deer, man. Mm-hmm. If you killed a CWD positive deer, you killed it, you had it tested, they said, oh, tested positive CWD. What do you do? So I heard, I just, I listened to this podcast today from you guys, but I mean, what do you mean, what do I do? You eat it or is it just, is it all garbage at that point? So I would probably have to do some research before I just, threw it in the skillet and started cooking and eating it. But at this point, um, here's, here's your research. Okay. There is no case proven right now that it's crossed from deer to humans, but the CDC says no. Um, I, I don't oh. listen to the CDC. <laughs> I would eat, I, yeah, the credibility they, they say a lot. They say Going a lot. The <laughs> they say a lot. So in other words, throw some butter in the skillet and let's let it ride. There you go. So here's another thing though, right? The CDC also says that, uh, CWD cannot be killed via incineration. So if you do find these deer, deer farmer in your herd, and you kill them, how do you dispose of them? Because honestly, you, first thing I would think is burn. You do incinerate them, but it's it's you can't just put them on your you can't just throw them on your regular old fire. I mean, you've got to you got to have a fire. You got to cremate them essentially. You can't cook it out, right? If you did. Mm quote unquote cook it out you'd be like yeah so we're gonna take this deer that i just cooked and we're gonna season the mashed potatoes with it yeah. <laughs> because it's just gonna be well, ashes that, i mean no, but to, to his point you also can't just burn the carcass like you would no with something else because you have to you have to essentially break the bones down at a cellular level cellular level to destroy the cwd so on this subject i don't i don't know how, i've never done this in my life but so people from west virginia i went there for school for four years I know people that will debone a deer, boning out everything, and they will dig a hole and bury it. Right? Like on their their property, whatever, they'll they'll bury it. So unless every single deer is checked for CWD, they could be doing that all over the country and there's no way to know until like I at this point who knows I could have eaten a CWD at this point, you know, a deer that had CWD. How would I know if I got, I didn't take every single one to get, you know, looked at by a biologist or whoever would, you know, dictate whether it has CWD or not. 
So the majority of states that have test uh, cases where they've tested positive, they do have an option where you can take a portion of your deer and drop it off for location with your information, and then they'll test it and let you know whether your deer is positive or not. They count that to the cases, but the state of Florida has been testing for many years, roadkill deer and stuff like that. They haven't found a case yet. And then, but you're right. You don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's one of those things where, I mean, like I said, I've hunted West Virginia, Tennessee, South Carolina. I've hunted just about anywhere, you know, from West Virginia down and up to West Virginia I've killed deer in every state, eight deer from every state. I've never, in this, I mean, I, like you said, I, I shoot a decent amount of deer. I've never even thought to get one tested. Be, I mean, it's not it's not convenient whatsoever to do that. You know what I mean? Not that convenience is one of those things that should dictate whether you do it or not. But I looked up, I looked it up in college when we were in college. The closest one's like 100 miles away. I'm supposed to drive, like, you know, drive it to the DNR. They don't just accept them anywhere either. So, like, it's not like it's a convenience thing where they make it easy for you either. And, you know, like William talked in that podcast as well, yours may not test positive, but the processor that you take yours to, Joe Blows could have tested positive. But what's he going to get his results back three weeks later after your deer has already gone through the same grinder that that deer went through? That's a, I mean, that's at that a, point, I, I say, at that point, I say you just live your life. Listen, yeah. if we all haven't learned something in the last couple of years, it's just, just live your life, okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, we got to move on. Like I said, we're going to do a whole other podcast on CBD. Oh, yeah. But uh, go ahead, Jim. What are you going to lead us into? Well, like I said, after we, you know, to kind of kind of put a cap on the recaps, uh, I think we did a pretty solid podcast with Ryan Parsons that aired, oh, aired this started. week. Um, and yeah, his wonderful dog, Chapel. You know, and just the relationship between hunters and, and dogs and, and then the reciprocal relationship, the dog back to the hunter. I, I We can't have that kind of podcast every single week, but I love hunting with dogs. And I tell you what, after having that podcast with Ryan and then going out that, that next weekend and working, you know, I always love watching Bell work. But I feel like I had a just having been broke down like I was at one point during that podcast. I felt like I had a different, like deeper perspective on watching my dog work and how much she enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Because then, like we talked about losing a dog, and you, you at that point you're watching your dog work, thinking like how much your dog loves that, and then one day your dog's not gonna be able to do that anymore. Yep. So, so someone that wasn't a part of it. But listen to it. I was at I was at work. At, I'm working from home in my office. Got my dog laying next to me. You know he's on the bed behind me. It's one of those things where I just started working with him as you know a dog that somewhat hunts. He doesn't necessarily you know he's not a bird dog. He doesn't do stuff like that. But he blood trails. He's blood trailed a couple bucks for me this year. And like you said, it, it made me really like stop where I'm you know sitting at turn around and you know scratch my dog on his belly and like you know almost it's like one of your kids tell me hey man like they know it already but you tell them again you know hey i love you and um but just like i don't know it got to me pretty hard and it was like i said it's from someone from the outside from listening i wasn't a part of the conversation but i felt like i was thank you so 
I'm, it was I'm tough glad. for us, man. It was a good one. Yeah, I'll strap in young, strap in young men. I'll end here kind of like a. <laughs> I've, I've listened to I've <laughs> listened tough, to man. a pile of them, and that one, <coughs> that one hit home for sure. I'm glad we were able to effectively convey the emotion in the room through the audio. Oh, man, yeah. it, was, it was. I could it feel was. it, but I could hear it too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I tell you what's funny, so. When I was editing that podcast the other night, I was sitting in uh, my wife's office. Uh, she's running her little uh, small business from home. She sells, she makes and sells hair bows for little girls, and I'm helping her pack a bunch of orders as I'm sitting there editing the podcast. And uh, she's over there. She's starting to cry. And I'm like, what? You all right? She's like, yeah, it's just, she's like, I feel like, I feel like I need to take Jackson to school with the kids in the morning. So I get home from work today. <laughs> I get home from work today, and my son says, Dad, Jackson went to school with us this morning and picked us up from school, and Mom took him to Starbucks and got him a little thing from Starbucks, and he he, he went like this. He starts licking his tongue in and out of his mouth. <laughs> There's a couple of hundred dogs in Florida that are like, man, this is a great week. What did I do? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he's definitely, he's definitely got a lot more spoiled from that one than he ever has before. But uh, it that that really got us all into our feels, man. And we didn't uh, we didn't stop just there at the death of a dog. Oh. We just hammered it one right after the other, right after the other with the emotional stuff right there towards the end of that one. It was good. Yeah, no more. It's good for a year. Bri- Briar came out of left field and saved y'all on that one. Like, all right, let me let me lighten the mood a yeah. little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, but man, that was a really good one. It's a long one. It's like two and a half hours, but it's, it's long. It's, it's wor- worth time. every minute. So. Yeah. Y'all, well, if y'all haven't checked that one out for sure. The thing about that one, and we're going to get Ryan back in here, but we could have gone on for another two, four hours. We could have gone several episodes just in that night with that conversation. Ethics and everything, yeah. Yeah, no, because we had a lot of stuff that we talked about before we ever started recording on that episode. Corner crossing. Yeah, because we, we sat here and talked for a solid 45 minutes before the episode. Then we stop recording. We walk outside, talk for another 30 minutes. There's another hour and 15 minutes worth of episode right there we could have talked about. Yeah. Shoot, nobody left here. It was probably almost 11 o'clock for anybody left Yeah. that night. And we started recording just a little after 7. Yep. But that one that one went on into the night. But we have some longer ones. A lot of our episodes this, this uh, so far this year have been pretty long. Well, speaking of long episodes, uh, we got a fellow here that drove 90 minutes. We, we invited him to come in and chat a little bit uh john taylor and we kind of got an interesting story so a year ago just about a year to a day uh backcountry hunters and anglers we did a hunt uh at tm triple triple and ranch that was one that cameron gordon helped kind of put together and 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 run quarterback on and and just be bopping along and Man, I can't remember how I ran into you. You were just uh, coming down the road, or I was coming down the road. or Yep, you were just getting back to your truck. I just pulled up and said, hey, how'd you do? That's right. And we started chatting, and, and I think he asked why I was out here, and I mentioned backcountry hunters and anglers. and um, I didn't know it at the time, but John was relatively new. You're still in your first year, or yep. second year hunting. Yep. And, man, he signed up. Um he, he's made some donations to some of the things that we've done fundraising wise, uh, sponsored several of the miles that we put in um, this summer doing the hike to hunt campaign. So, um, but I didn't really see him again until all of a sudden he pops up and with 
Somebody latched on to Cameron Gordon, man, at the small game hunt, which if you're going to latch on to somebody, that's the guy. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I think I met you. And he's like, yeah, we met it. And I put it all together real quick. But meanwhile, well, I'm I'm hogging all the story. This guy's. Did you not even know about Snipe until I chatted with you about that? Nope. You were the first one to tell me about Snipe. I had no idea, man. I mentioned Snipe. Well, this dude's bagging limits out of the St. John's River, man. He's become quite the small game hunter. And, uh, but tell us a little bit now that I've stolen an awful lot of the thunder. What is a late onset hunter? What drew you to hunting? And then what is it primarily small game? But tell us, what do you, what do you do in these days? What, what's, you seem pretty ate up with it. You want to go out west? Definitely ate bit? up with it. <laughs> my man. Um, started with duck hunting. A couple of my buddies. I, f- I fished my whole life. Fresh, salt, everything. Worked on charter boats, offshore, uh, commercial boats, all that kind of stuff. And then um, some of my buddies that run charter boats out of Clearwater. That's where I'm from, Tampa, Clearwater area. Um, they hunt pretty hardcore. They were going duck hunting. I was like, hell yeah, that sounds like fun. And it's gone uphill, downhill from there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it depends how you look at it, it I guess. It depends on who you're asking. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. if, you, if you ask the wallet, it's probably downhill. Yeah, exactly. If you ask somebody else, it's uphill. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, there was a time when I wasn't all into duck hunting. Um, and then I got into duck hunting. If you ask me, it was all uphill from there. If you ask my wife, it's probably been the opposite direction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I've picked up everything. I mean, I've, I do deer hunting, turkey hunting, everything. Everything I can kill and eat, I'm all about, I'm all about it. I think you're in the right room. Gator hunting, everything. That was the second thing I did was gator hunting. And then, like I said, it just snowballed from there. Oh, gator so hunting's a good time. You just got on the FWC yeah. website, figured out what WMAs oh my were God, open, and that that's how you wanted it. the most out. painful process to figure out by yourself, <laughs> let me tell you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, all but once, once you figure it out. where out. you can hunt, all the licensing, all that kind of stuff is quite difficult. But now that you've figured it out, kind of self-taught, I bet you could teach somebody else how to do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So how did it's you... all about the, um, the what are they called, the uh, brochures. Yeah. It's all oh, about yeah. the brochures. I'll tell you what, though. No, the brochures can fool you, though, because I've been to the panhandle this past year, and we caught some flounder that were like, I don't know, I think they were 12, the, they were like 14 or something, right at what the limit was when the brochure came out. And then FWC got us. And pulled us to the side and checked our flounder. And he's like, no, the flounder have to be 16 now. And we're like, well, the brochure said 14. He's like, yeah, well, they changed that a couple this months after. Week. Exactly. Yeah, they changed that like this week. So it's not in the brochure. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Appreciate it, bro. Right, thanks. But he let us go because he was like, it's not in the brochure. It's not a big thing now. So we're going to let you Again, go with it. Real pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> they don't make it easy, but, you know, ignorance is no excuse ever. Absolutely. That, that I've been told like, that and hammered for it multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think I've heard that a time or two. Right it out, may right be out of a, an officer's yeah, mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I learned it. Uh, it may be a pain in the ass, but it's it's there for you. Right. You know, yeah. we you mentioned wanting to go out west. Your Florida hunters all the time gripe about FWC's website and figured it all out. Yeah. Well, go figure out Arizona. Oh man. No Go thanks. figure out New Mexico. Holy crap! Like, or even Wyoming. Like, well, you got forty eleven different areas that you can hunt in. How do you put in? It, we we have it easy. It almost seems like these states hired the least expensive website designer they could find. <laughs> exactly. Right? Um, <laughs> absolutely. That's just government. But well, 
FWC and a lot of them have gotten better, you know, with the app. That's a big thing. So many people have asked me, well, where do I go get a hunting license? I'm like, well, I did it right here on my phone. Go, I think it was in gooutdoors.com. Don't, don't even. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I can't even get George's app to work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. No, and it's the sa- literally the same exact format software as Florida. And then I pulled up. It's like, check your deer. And I pulled up, and it's just a white screen. La- the last two bucks I killed, I had to call yeah. and check them out. I can go on their website and do everything. Boom, 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 boom. But as soon as you try to use their app, it doesn't load for shit. Nothing. Nope. I tell you, I don't use Florida's apps either. I use the I use their website. It it works a lot faster. Stuff's it, easier for me to find there. I haven't I haven't had a problem with the app at all. Like the last couple of years, uh, the last three years, I've used the app to like check deer in. Excuse me. And um, I haven't had a problem with it. Now, me like I said, with Georgia's, it, it's laughable sometimes. Like I'm. I like I shot um, two years ago now. I shot a deer in velvet, like the second day of season, archery season. Shot a deer in velvet. I'm like on cloud nine. Well, they give you like that span to check the deer in. Well, I'm in the field like trying to get it to work as I'm like shaking like a leaf, you know, I'm all pumped <laughs> up. And I'm like, all right, well, first of all, I don't know how to handle a deer that has velvet on its horns. I'm there when I've never even been around one, never seen one. So I'm like trying to be super delicate with it, whatever. I'm like, well, I'm gonna call it in, you know, use the app and check it in before we take it out of the field. So I sat there for an hour after dark in that field trying to get anything to load on the app. I tried, I even tried the web browser, could not get it to load. Now, could be user error. I'm no computer tech, but. I finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to call the DNR number. Called in. Hey, look, I can get the app to work. I'm in Baba County. You know, I just shot a deer, checking it in. Awesome. Thank you. Click. <laughs> I'm like, hold on a second. I there thought the go. new stuff was supposed to be easier than the old way. <laughs> it was like three seconds. I'm like, all right, let's load up. Let's go to the camp. I really think that my thing with using F, the website versus the app is is a, a familiarity, right? Because there was a time when the app was terrible as well, and I just got so used to using the website instead of using the app. I mean, to the point that I had the website saved as a shortcut on my home screen on my phone <laughs> instead of using the app. Just click on that, <laughs> open it up. Um, but now, I mean, you know what's nice about the new? Because used to be with the old app, you had to input your information every time in order to get it. Now they have it linked to the face ID on the iPhone. It's like whoop, and there it is, opens right up. Oh, that's that's, oh, that's, I hadn't seen that's that. over yeah. my that's it's over my head. I got like an eight iPhone eight. I don't think I have that yet. <laughs> yeah, every time I uh, download this, I was like, "Do you want to enable face ID?" I'm like, "Heck yeah, I do." I'm not gonna remember that password. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's only one question you have to ask yourself: the way you do it, does it work? Oh, it works. And that's that's all you have to worry about. Yeah, <laughs> as long as it works. I'm also still the one screenshotting all my permits. Oh, absolutely. Screenshot my license. It's all in there. And then I'm, I, you know, what's funny is I do that, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna screenshot it. If I need it, I'll have it. I'm like, oh, let me go look at this permit. And I open up my photos, and I'm like, uh, seven hundred seven hundred photos ago. <laughs> Wait, guys, I we're kind of going off the rails here. I want to kind of get back to John, if you don't mind. Like, you know, brought him all the way over here. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you, you had some buddies take you duck hunting. That just like heroin, man. Just, <laughs> um, 
but along the way with the alligators, uh, you mentioned getting on FWC's website, which is how we went down this last rabbit hole. But with the rest of it, you know, when you decided to go hunt snipe, did you just start whining around in the mud until you found snipe? Is that how you, are you pretty much all self-taught? You just don't. hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Cameron and I were talking about mentorship and, and the whole R3 process. And one of the things we did kind of come to a conclusion with is unless there's a certain amount of drive in the hunter, right? You, you can have someone that's really, really enthusiastic that wants to go hunting, but if they're not, if they don't have some pretty significant amount of self-starter, then what you essentially just do is you become a guide. And you can tell the guy's got to go out on his own, the man or woman, but until they're willing to go out and set forth on their own, they're never, they're always going to be trapped, right? You got to get out of your own head and just go out there. Now, but you mentioned you've, you've worked on commercial fishing boats and things like that. Not too many lilies out on those things. So I guess that's part, I assume part of what, what it is. You're, and you're also self-employed too. Yes, so you kind of got the gene that I'll figure this out if it's important to me. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. Has anybody helped along the way? Have there been some mentors along the way that have helped shorten the learning curve? Not much, man. I'm not a real social guy. So, like, I kind of, you know, work, come home, go to boat ramp. That's pretty much it. Man. Not, not a lot of people in between there, you know. <laughs> no, you didn't hesitate to ask me about going out west. I mean, that's. I mean, we were there, you know, it was a social event. (laughs) (laughs) You were already right there in front of me. You didn't have much choice. Oh, right. Exactly. (laughs) So what are your aspirations for going out west? What do you want to hunt? I thought elk off off rip, obviously, you know, that's the the go-to. But, um, you know, I'm I'm lowering my standards the more I'm learning. (laughs) I've bumped down to mule deer. And then uh, he was talking about, uh, what are they called, speed goats? Antelope. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Well, it wasn't. I don't really think that's so much a bump down, but mentioned it from just the standpoint of we all have limited time and limited resources. So if, if on your first hunt, there's nothing wrong with going out and chasing elk on public land, but chances are if you just land in Denver and drive out to some public land and start hiking up and down the mountains looking for elk, there's a darn good chance you're going to run out of time and money and come home empty and do that for several years till you figure it out mule deer are probably easier but still same thing though they just they just disappear man they don't need much grass they lay down and you can you could spook them right but until and nobody's just going to tell you where the mule deer are so if you don't figure out where they're more likely to be that's another thing you could chew up weeks and, and not close the deal but antelope especially in places like wyoming are so prevalent that if you want to go out reasonably inexpensively as long as you got decent boots, and I'd also suggest knee pads, elbow pads, and heavy leather gloves because the damn cactus are everywhere. You got three or four days, and you're willing to put in the put in the footwork, especially with the doe tag. You're going to stumble on antelope and get within 300 yards where you can make a clean ethical kill and have some fantastic meat and just have that whole, wow, I went out west and I got it done feeling. I think that's your your greatest chance of success if you've only got three or four days to get it done. And you might knock down two real quick, depending how fast you sneak up on them. So the thing to think about, too, when you talk about elk is, are you you talking about going out to kill an elk to go out there and kill the classic six-by-six bull elk, or are you going out there to kill an elk to have a bunch of elk meat? I'm all about the meat, man. Because (laughs) you can go out there and, and get a cow tag and 
I, I would argue to say that cow finding a cow to shoot is probably a lot easier than mm-hmm. than finding a, a, a quality bull you want to shoot. But I mean, man, we got a dang, we got to get old Captain Nut back in here again. We had him on last season, and he went out there and just pounded the mountains, and they killed some big bulls archery now in in the rut. Uh, killed some big bulls over the counter public land tags and killed sheep and caught some trout in the streams and seems like they had quite the thing adventure out there yeah it sounds epic <laughs> yeah but sheep I, yeah like bighorns no like doll sheep white is, is white. That, yeah that's wild yeah, yeah. i'll show over you the photos count, over he the sent, counter yep sent me a bunch Ooh, of photos of how the hell they get an otc sheep tag i didn't think they existed i don't, I don't know how he got the sheep but he's got photo photographic evidence to prove he's killed it <laughs> that's wild man i, I got yeah, some wait buddies. there actually there is a range that does have an open walk-in season out there and they close it after they kill like they say all right we're gonna take six sheep but man if he managed to get out there and knock down one of those that's like that achievement for the walk-in sheep range i mean like guys like Ranella do podcasts where they go out and they find the guy that owned, uh, owns one of the backpacking companies and he's out there trekking for weeks at a time living real light. If McNutt wandered into the mountains and knocked down his sheep, like that guy should have been playing lottery numbers as that, soon as I he mean, got back. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I, Regar- think I mean, that's, regardless. That's the epic. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. Yeah. You, and that's not to disparage him. You had enormous fortune. That's awesome. I think a lot of that has to do. Okay, that's not a sheep. That's a billy goat. That helps. <laughs> We're talking about the wrong animal. A billy goat? That's a billy. That's a big billy goat. Yeah. I, I, I'd travel out west to shoot a big billy goat. Would you travel out west to shoot Ab- that? Absolutely. Yeah. I probably, I probably had to fork out for a full body sure. mount, too, for a living room. I'd be like, Still no, not that is either. not. That I did not raise that good. But he had he had quite a dang trip out there, and he wants to come in here and talk about it. We got to sit wow. him down here and talk about this coming up. But I think a lot of that boils down to you know your your time in a nation in a nationable ability to suffer. Right, if you can go out there and you can avoid staying in a dang hotel. And you can go out there and sleep on the mountain or sleep in the truck at the base of the trail and be as close as you can to where you can hunt every single day and avoid that travel time and spend more time on the mountain. I think your chances of success will be a lot higher. So you said you said you're like interested in the elk hunting thing. Um, I'm big on YouTube channels and stuff like that. You got to check out the uh, born and raised, mm-hmm. born and raised outdoors. Their videos are awesome and they're raw, raw videos. They're not anything special like editing stuff but these guys take 30 days travel to like eight different states and just hunt elk from september 1st or whatever the opener is until it closes and i'm talking they punch tags they're not trying to kill world-class bulls on every trip this and that and they're they're staying on it's all public so i'll tell you these dudes all single no they're all married they're all married some of their kids are on the show like the, oh, they're old of, dudes like me, yeah. One of them, uh, one of them, his kid just shot his first bull with a muzzleloader this year and a muzzleloader tag. Open sights, open sights, muzzleloader. Dang. On public, it was pretty impressive, especially for East East Coaster. Yeah, <laughs> I was loving every second of it. Yeah. yeah. But just to piggyback what you were talking about earlier, so when you're talking about going out west to hunt, 
I feel like even a 20-year, you know, someone that's been hunting for 25 years, hunting whitetail or hunting anything under the sun, when you go out west, it's like starting over. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different, like, I know people that have hunted out there and hunted east coast, hunted everywhere all over the country. It's a totally different ball game. So that's why when you said earlier, it's like, oh, I'd like to hunt an elk. When you go out there, that would be like starting at the the hardest level of something off the rip. So like when you were saying, you know, you suggested like go and try to shoot an antelope or, you know, mule deer or something like that, just to get your feet wet and even just the terrain out west. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. Well, even the antelope, it it's the easiest to think of those three species you talked about. It ain't hunt, easy. So it's also doing the crazy climbs and Absolutely. hardcore hikes and yep. stuff like that like that is part of the draw for me you know mm-hmm. what i mean i don't want to go i mean like what he was explaining what are they called again antelope yeah yeah prong prong horns it's more of like flatland isn't it Desert. it's certainly not <laughs> where i was it's not mountainous but um you're still doing a lot of high stepping because there's sage everywhere like i said little cactus um and, and the, the what makes that challenging? I don't want to be on the land. on the on the cusp of dying every. Step, no, you know? you're not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, one, 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 one of the things that makes here. it challenging is 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 getting it back, getting it out, getting tombs challenging. So, all right, one of the things that you'll think if you're a Florida hunter, because in Florida, a hundred yard shot's a long shot, just because you know you could go mow a hundred yard path. At breakfast, come back at lunch, it's all grown up again. <laughs> right? So we have such dense vegetation, and it, it makes it that's what makes it challenging. So, as a Florida guy, you go out west, think, oh, how hard can this be, man? I can shoot a mile. Yeah, well, you know what else can see you from a mile? <laughs> Everything. Right? So, um, and they, they figured it out that when they see, you know, little two legged bipeds out there, ways off, it's probably time to get scarce. <laughs> so, with uh, what makes the antelope challenging, or even frustrating is you're driving down the highway and on the other side of the fence is the area you're allowed to hunt. And you're driving by antelope, right? Except it's 13 miles till you, you get to the pull-in, right? So you know there's antelope 13 <laughs> miles to the east. <laughs> so, you know, it's like... The whole time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they were 100 yards from you on the road, but you can't shoot them off the road, obviously. So then you start walking around out there and then, you know, you, and that's the other thing is the land looks flat. It's not as flat as it looks. To your eye, you think it's, you're looking, because you are seeing a mile. But what you don't realize is that a quarter mile out or maybe a little longer than that, there's a swale and sure enough down in there, there's antelope. But you don't know it until you crest it and they can see, you can see them. And all it takes is one and dust, right? They'll, they'll run up or worse, they'll run just far enough away. They'll run six, 700 yards away and stop again. That's, that's so you and you'll never creep up. You, you, that's I made that mistake. You'll spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to outsmart those things, and you won't. You'll every time. It's like chasing doves through the trees. As soon as you get even close enough to make a shot, they take off again. I say one of the craziest things I could think to describe what you're talking about I, that I've ever seen was in, was in Fort Knox, Kentucky. We were looking out across a flat, what appeared to be extremely flat range then we go down the range and you're uh, this is thousand twelve hundred yards out you're seeing trees you're like oh those trees are like 10 15 20 feet tall wrong 
They're like 85, 90 feet tall. And there's a dang ravine that you can't see. Mm. You're just looking at the top of the tree sticking out of there. And I never would have known. Standing from where I was, that was flat ground all the way to the end. But, Similar. Yeah. But you know, it's fun. And you got there. And, and once you figure that out and you really, you don't need much to hide. But you just got to, yeah, when, when you, and you can see the antelope a long way off. They can see you. You just get down. And then you've got to use the terrain. And we had the most success. We got lucky. Where there there was a, a land feature there. A, a, a kind of a craggy hill. And uh, decided it, the, the hill was, I forget what direction, whatever, to the left. I may have been south. This is called south. So if I'm, if I'm east of the goats and the hills to the south not goats, the uh, antelope, it was just taking a long, circuitous route to put that hill between me and the antelope because they were only 200 yards away from from the base of that hill. But once you had that, once there was a barrier, it was boogie right up, but you, you had to go, you had to go a long way around to put a lot of distance. You couldn't just go right to the hill because they would have seen you go into it. Right. But once they came up that hill, it, it was it was a turkey shoot, right? Um Dropped the first one, and, and they ran off another 50, 60 yards. Like, what was that? And then, boom. Tagged out. Tagged out. <laughs> but then the, then the problem is, you, just, you know, it's nice and cold out there, so the meat doesn't spoil. But you're not going to pack two. You could pack one doe antelope is about the same as, a, say, a, Georgia, a good-sized Georgia doe. Right, so you you can get that out, deboned all in one pack, except when it's four and a half miles one way to the truck. It's a long walk, and you already covered six miles in the day. Yeah, by the time you get that second antelope out of there, so that's a long walk just for me to walk that far. Period. Oh, I learned that. No, I'll never take no, two in the same day again. with no antelope on my back. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll never take two in the same day again. You shot two in the same day. Shot two in the first in thirty seconds. You know, after three days of walking around. It's one of those things where you, where you squeeze off the first one, pow, thump, or whatever you're shooting with. You shoot the second one, you're like, oh, man. It's like shooting pigs. You're like, oh, now i got to clean both of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you got to be No, after putting in that much distance, <clears throat> I was so excited. Like I said, I was so excited I shot two. Because you said, oh, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But then, like I said, the, even you clean the first one, Clean the second one, get them all taken apart. Got them in uh, uh, cloth game bags on a, on a on a plastic tarp out there in the sage. Really wasn't worried about coyotes or anything because just then you start to walk, and then when you realize like how exhausted you are just getting back to the car with one seventy pound pack, and you're like, I gotta walk all the way freaking back out there again and do it again. I mean, I was just done, but. Then once you get back to the truck, it was it was. You're elated when you get back to the car. Yeah. You know, on that second run, I'll tell you that because you can see the car. It's like, you just, I'm sore. My back's killing me. My knees and every everything's hurting. You just put your head down, and I would walk and I would count a hundred steps on my left leg, then a hundred steps on my right leg. So really, that's four hundred steps. And uh, I'd look back up. And of course, you never quite walk in straight. 
and be like, the car hasn't gotten any closer. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But you can do it, man. I'm sorry. That's the only shitty part of the trip, man. That and the wind, you know, but it's it's not. There's no, really, there's no bad part of it. You know, when you're in it, it sucks, and then it's over, and then it's just all about great times. That we goes back to, do to it the, again. the yeah. inational uh, ability to suffer. Sounds I put in for like, tags every year. So you were asking so. if you if you want to die on every step, apparently. When you got to pack two of them out, it sucks pretty bad. <laughs> one. Like or I two guys in one antelope wouldn't be that yeah. bad either. You're yeah. by yourself? Yeah. Oh, man. That's a whole other element. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I'd rather stand behind a tree in Arkansas and freeze. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's why when that's why when we put in for tags, we put in for a group, hundred <laughs> percent. So Jake, tell us how you got into hunting, man. You, you kind of been kind of quiet over there, hiding. Hey, he's hiding been the behind man. the microphone, but uh, he's yeah, been, he's the, been beer the beer man. man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at being the beer man. Um, well, I grew up in Oregon. I did a lot of duck hunting out there. Um, I've only yep. been deer hunting down here for so three years now. So. I'm just getting, I'm really just getting into the hunting as a whole. You know, I did a lot of duck hunting when I was a kid, a lot of small game hunting. But, uh, yeah, it's been different down here. That Pacific Flyway is a different beast. You get an extra yeah. duck. Oh, man, it's beautiful. Too. Yeah. <laughs> we're over here talking about, well, we got six ducks today. And he's like, well, yeah, well, we're one short of what, what a real limit is. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have that by about 7.30 in the morning. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Because I think that is the only flyway you, where you, where you can kill seven ducks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'd say I lived um, right on the Cascade Mountains too, so we were right Ooh. in the flyway. Oh um, yeah, it was. Oh man, it's nice out there. So, what kind of duck reigns king in Oregon? Mallards. Mallards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's everywhere but the southeast, man. <laughs> the wood duck is king in the southeast. Yeah, I haven't seen one of them yet. I've seen them, but I haven't shot one. That's that day's coming. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Man, I wish we had more than one are week you in the duck the, season are, left. Oh, are you, well, you're not a veteran, are you? No, sir. Oh, dang. Yeah, so we got this This coming weekend is the last week in the duck season for the 2021-2022 duck season, unless you're a youth or a veteran, and then you've got one more weekend. Uh, but we've got, shoot, we got the youth hunt coming up, the Emerald of March youth hunt, and that's going to be a dang blast. February 12th. Yeah. So get out there. I'm going to take all this recording stuff out there and sit up, and you guys, we'll, we'll try and record something first thing in the morning. You can listen to the kids just laying them down, hopefully in the background. War zone. Oh, man. Oh, war I, zone. I hope it is, man. I, <laughs> I hope, hope so. I hope they burn the, just, burn the barrels off a couple of them. Yeah. I wish my son was really old enough to kind of get out there and get involved in that. He's just a little bit too young. Another couple of years, we'll have him out there on that youth hunt. All right. But, man... So, ducks, you, you got into deer down here in the southeast. Have you been successful at that yet? I, I want to say yeah, but no. No, I haven't been successful at all. So, ha- how do you say? box of ammo for three years. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So, you strictly hunting deer in Georgia or in uh, Florida? No, I hunt some pigs, too, but I've, I've had a, quite a bit of success with pigs, but no deer. No, I mean, have you hunted deer outside of any other state but Florida? No, no. no? Just, just here. Just here? So what uh, you putting in for draw hunts? Or are you just trying to hunt some of the areas that let you go out and go? No, I put in for draws, but to, I hunt the lower Swanee a lot because that gives me a place the same place every year. 
Right. You get the quota hunt. You might get it this year. You don't get it next year. Now you got to learn a whole new area. Yeah. Well, that's it's quite a haul. Are you going in by boat or are you driving in? I drive in. I drive wow. in and walk. I think the first year I did, is it Onyx told me I walked 23 miles and over seven days or something like that in the swamps out there. Dang wow. Yeah. Still didn't get nothing, you know, and all that for nothing. Good. So you said you're from the around the Cascades, right? Are you, did you live yeah. east or west of the Cascades? Were you on the Seattle side? or you? I, were you... I lived on the Cascades. Come a little closer to that microphone. Oh, wait. We, we, I'm sorry. Oregon or Washington? Oregon. Oregon. Oh, so you're quite the south. Okay. Yeah, right on the California-Oregon border. Got it. Falls. So we were, uh, it's actually a basin in the Cascade Mountains. Hmm. I was wondering if the ducks, I was thinking Washington, I was wondering if the ducks come right down that slot between the the Olympics, but I don't think the Olympics go that far south, right? They're, no, that's way up there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Ah, kills my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one more. I have another question for you, Hunter. You, you brought up the how to handle the velvet buck, and I never really thought about the how fragile velvet can be until you yeah. brought that up. All right. So, neither did I. I had never been around, obviously never handled one. So, it's it's more of a prevalent thing, I would say, about hunting out west. Like, I see people kill muleys in velvet often. Well, so, I'll, I'll bring this up. Kentucky and then Tennessee now yep. also has a velvet. They also hunt. have a velvet. South season. Carolina. Yeah. Yep, South Carolina. They start hunting in June or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like. Not only that, but South Carolina, it's not uh, archery season. It's uh, It's hunting season. Period. Yeah, there is no, there is no, like in between. It's just they're. I mean, they're running dogs. Well, that, most so of that's the time. some. That's some of the counties. Some of them are different, but yeah. You're Every, everywhere I've been in South Carolina. The only time I've ever hunted South Carolina was running dogs. When I was a kid, I wasn't even old enough to hold a shotgun. So, but I shot that deer in Georgia. It was a hundred and three degrees. <sighs> Steamer. So it was right before I started the job that I'm working now. So I had a little spurt in between working for my grandfather and starting my new job. Well, they told me, they're like, hey, you're going to start September 30th. And I'm like, I get to hunt two whole weeks of hunting season without having to work. (laughs) This is going to be great. I'm like, absolutely. That's a great start date. So um, I grabbed my buddy, uh, Mike Munson, and was like, hey come with me run the camera i'll buy your beer for the weekend you know blah 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 we'll go to the hunting camp if any pigs come out i'll let you shoot them Ah, oh yeah 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 so we're sitting there deer comes out and long story short i i hacked up a ground blind brushed it in mediocre brush in. i'm like there's no way we're gonna see it's 100 degrees it's the second day of season it's like a the Monday, second day of season, I think it was September 19th, and uh, deer pops out 60 yards on the neighbor's side of the fence. I watch him jump the fence, and I'm like, Munson, yeah. I'm like, get the camera. He's like, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, forget the camera, just sit still. Deer walks the edge of the cotton field, comes around, right around the corner. There's a spin feeder in the corner of the field. And uh, he comes around and quarters to me pretty hard. 
Well, he turned and looked away. I drew back, settled my pin, and waited for him to turn broadside. And obviously, don't have no film. There's no film of it, but I sinked the arrow all the way to the fletching, right, right in front of his front shoulder. And uh, all I could see was a lighted knock. And I see horns, horns, horns running through the cotton, and then all of a sudden, it just disappeared. So I, obviously, I hear thrashing, whatever deer goes down. So that's when I start. I had no idea the deer was in velvet. Like, I just thought he was that thick, like heavy. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe just in case he didn't go down, let, let you know, give it a minute. We'll go out, you know, give it 30 minutes. We'll walk out there. So we walk out there. I'm like, there's blood all over, you know, all over the cotton leaves and stuff. It's easy to see. And he had mashed a six foot circle in the cotton where he's laying. And he had his horns like curled up underneath him. So I did I still didn't know he was in velvet. And I flip him over and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And Munson's a fisherman. He don't know a whole lot about hunting. So like and he he used uh he runs up on an offshore boat as well. But uh he's like what's wrong what's wrong he's like thinking something's wrong i'm like no i got to call i I, I gotta call my dad i gotta call my dad i'm like i've never even heard of this before what do i do but um like i said i say long story short but all my stories are long but uh so we get my beer we get the deer loaded up and everything get back to the camp i take a bunch of trophy photos whatever blah, blah blah and uh i call my dad i'm like hey man what do i do with this thing like, if I just throw it in the freezer, is the velvet going to be okay? Like, what do I need to do? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? I go straight to YouTube, and I start YouTube, and, you know, like, how to preserve velvet. And now they have a field spray where you can spray, you know, like, spray it on there, and I don't know what's in it, but it'll hold it to the horns. And almost like, uh, almost like dries it out to where it'll stick. Yeah. Um. But it's pretty cool. I had it. Uh, John Powell, John Powell taxidermy did it for me. It was, it was awesome mount. Came out freaking awesome. But um, you can see where I had my grip around his horns, and I was so disappointed with it. Like I'm like, oh man, that's gonna look like crap. It's gonna have a hand mark on there. I got it back from the taxidermist. I'm like, you know what? That was that was me gripping on those horns. Pr- the proudest person on the planet. Who cares? And it looks awesome. But he did a fantastic job on that mount. It's got, like, the ticks that were in the velvet are freeze-dried. Oh, that's wow. cool. In yeah. the velvet. It's, oh, it's, that is neat. it's a world-class mount. Honest. I mean, worth every penny. Awesome. So is the velvet itself bloody? So it's not really bloody. So you know, like, when you get, um, I say soot. I don't know if that's the word for it. But when you get, like, a, a thin layer of dirt on your skin mm-hmm. and you rub it, Real fast, it makes like those little black marks. You know what I mean? Like the little dirt things on your arms. That's what it looks like. Like on your hands. It's not like you it's not like you cut yourself and there's blood on your hands. If that makes sense. It's almost but like there's definitely a residue if you hit it. Yes, absolutely. Velvet. It's it'll have like a red ring. Hmm. Just like if I guess it would be like if you grabbed a hold of something that was very lightly coated in blood, you get like that little light red ring around your hand. Sure. But I had no idea. Pitch black dark. We're taking pictures, blah, blah, blah. And I look down and I'm like, oh, 
you can see the horn straight through the velvet. I'm like, oh Lord, what am I gonna do with it? How I'm I'm about to be out here trying to put dust or something on it to fill in the spot. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was definitely it was one of those things where I was not prepared for it at all. Because every day on our lease is usually shed by then. Yeah. Like they're full I mean, not even bloody horn I've never even seen one with bloody horns really, you know, during deer season. Um How did you get it? So I'm trying to figure, like, you've got this fragile material. I, I can't imagine you just put a drag on it and start hauling it out. Would you just drive the truck all the way out to the deer in the field? And okay, how'd you so get, how'd you get I, it out? I got super lucky with where the deer ended up. So it ran the same. So we're in a cotton field. I'm hunting the corner. Um, there's, like I said, there's that uh, the feeders there in the corner. The deer ran into the cotton field, but he only made it 40 yards from the shot. So I'm talking, he's 60 yards from the feeder. He's right there in the field. <laughs> I pulled the truck right to him. I mean, but I told Munson, I'm like, hey, grab grab him by his front legs and drag, and I'm going to hold his head. Well, I held his ears. Like his, his death grip as possible. So to keep his head off the ground. Because at first I grabbed him, dragged him like a normal deer, you know, whatever. And I'd noticed as soon as I touched it, it was fragile. Like, if if you would have took a knife and just scraped it, you could just scrape the whole thing off. I would think that late because that deer was probably just a couple of days from finding a tree and ripping it off. I talked I talked to um, a couple people that I know that have shot them in velvet and stuff like that, and some people that have hunted South Georgia, and they said that. The condition that even the taxidermist said the t- condition that the horns were in, he was less than twenty four hours from rubbing it off. So mm, I can I can I can tell you the difference. I can actually sh- visibly show you guys the difference in the deer that has been out of velvet and a deer that recently came out of velvet. If you look at these deer hanging on the wall in the studio, you see how smooth their horns are. Look at this eight pointer shot with my bow. Look at its brow tines. See how knobby those are. Mm-hmm. That's because he hasn't had a chance to rub them smooth yet. He had mm. just, that was an early season bow kill. You'd say the base of his horns got these little knobs sticking off of them. Their horns are covered in those. If you strip the velvet off before they have a chance to rub it off, they're covered in those little bumps like that. Even even when they're in velvet, if you can hold them up close like that, you can actually see it through the velvet. Huh. So I was going to say, if you'll notice, <sighs> nice where I wish we had visual. Right. If you'll notice, it's like a little knot in the horn on mm-hmm. these. And I actually learned this at a, uh, a hunting show. This knot is where a tick was in the velvet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So they get those knots on their horns like that because the tick was in their velvet right there. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. Georgia, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it before. Have you ever seen them when they have the, uh, an actual hole in their horns? Yeah. It's from um, those bugs. Bu- I can't remember the name of the bug exactly, but the bugs get in it during the velvet and they burrow a hole through their horns. Like they'll literally like take home in their horns. Oh, is it those bot fly things? I don't know if it's I can't I want to say bot fly, but I don't know if that's the right thing. Wolves, same thing you find as squirrels and rabbits up there. Yeah, yeah. So like they'll take home and inside the velvet because of the blood, I guess. So Mm. they like eat the nutrients out of it. And I've actually shot one with a almost like a caved in hole. Like it looked like you took a spoon and just dug a little piece out of it. Yeah, I got one like that. It's crazy. Pretty, I mean, that's pretty unique. It's pretty cool looking, but so, I just figured it was a growth defect of some kind. Off the subject of this velvet deer, I want to know how Hunter 
and Jake. How did you guys find Under Pressure? I mean, how, how, how did you, you John? Or John? Yeah, yeah John. sorry, John. I found it last weekend at the small game hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you show yeah. up? You didn't show up because we were there. You just show up. No, we no. Were there. I just saw Cameron was going hunting, and I was like, "Yo, can I come with you?" And he's like, "Yeah, we'll be a couple of us out there." Then I was pull up, and there's like 30 people. I'm like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, yeah shoot, yeah, good deal. <laughs> Jake, how'd you come across us? I seen a an ad on Facebook actually. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was all Jim right there. That yeah. got me out to the Charles Bronson hunt, and here I am now. Ooh, good, good deal. deal. Who's who's under pressure outdoors? I'm right. Just, I'm just kidding. So that you're, say, right so you're saying it's, it's <laughs> worth the money that, that's been put into the ads? Then so they, they do they do bring people around. They do. They do. They do. I will uh, say I'm not a social media guy at all. Like I mm-hmm. I scroll, but I don't I don't post anything. You won't find any of my deer on social media. None of my snipe. Nothing. I don't put anything on social media. It's just I just don't involve myself in it. So that's yeah, how you hunt without be a hard for you guys for me to find you guys. You know way. what's you know what's funny is if you look at my personal page on social media, there's nothing there. Yeah. Everything I do and anytime I post anything to social media, it's usually to the under pressure outdoors page. And I make more posts uh, from my personal page to the group page than I do anywhere else. I'm I'm the same with mine. I, I mean I'll put I post on like for birthdays of my buddies or whatever, I guess. On my personal page, but mostly all my posts are on, on my page. I didn't have my birthday on social media. Can't, <laughs> no, you, can't even yeah. find me to wish me a happy birthday. You just SOL. Either you know or you don't. I don't. You're just really. You, <laughs> other than is it my, really Halloween? Other than Man. my birthday, you're about the only one I remember. So <laughs> You know what's. <laughs> yeah, you and I got you and uh, like two other people that are stacked right there in like three days in December. <laughs> Man, that I so, gotta remember. So but. you're born Halloween. Yeah. So your dad got had to miss November first because of you. That's his own fault. <laughs> Self inflicted. I, I told things better. <laughs> I told I told you guys over the weekend, man. I said you yep. gotta plan it right. I got both my kids are born in April. I'm a, I'm on Thanksgiving. Jeez. I was born on Thanksgiving, so my dad messed up on that one. Too. Only every now and then though, right? Every, every I think every seven years. Yeah. I think is that how that works? <laughs> I got both my kids the seventeenth and eighteenth of April. Nice, perfect. I'm really? not a big turkey hunter, but I'll be all right. You'll survive. You yeah. only got to hunt mornings. They won't even be awake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny, though? So you talk about birthdays during hunting season and kids. I just strive to have my kids want to be in the woods for their birthdays. Because it, it reached a point where, as as I got older, I was like, well, what do you want to do for your birthday? Uh, I want to go hunting. That's what I want to do. And that's what I did last year. Uh, for my birthday, I, I got up. I didn't hunt the evening. I went and trick or treated with my kids, but I hunted in the morning, and I had full and in, full intentions of hunting the evening. But I was like, Nah, you know what? There's only so many Halloweens until they get tired of it, and then eventually they're gonna go. Dad, we want to go hunting with you for your birthday. I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> that's where we want to be. Don't worry, I got two bags of candy in my backpack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so changing up subjects a little bit, I got a question. Now deer season's over, and it has to do with stands or maybe we could even take that into if you lease a new place and there's already stands on there what do you do but right now all the stands are supposed to be off of public land and there are a number of wmas that if we go wander around right now season's over right and there are still stands out there man i could outfit two or three leases with some of the stands that i'll bet you i could pull off a couple of them public land areas if the stand is out there because i've also run out there just 
hiking in July and still seen stands. You can't tell which ones are actually abandoned at this point and which ones maybe guys are just running a little bit of lay down. But what all is your opinion on that, man? If a, if you are definitely past the time that stands are out there and somebody's left it, is it fair game? So I'll tell you this. Coming across a stand on public land <clears throat> that's out there past the due date, right? you, you got to have it out of the woods. Is it fair game? Probably, technically, by a gray area in the law, yes. Would I take your stand off public land to go and uh, take it to my deer lease? No. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I'm going to tell you to a certain extent that depending on what your stand looks like, what the tree that it's on looks like, and the condition around it, is going to depend on whether I'm going to take it or not, right? If your climber's sitting out there and it looks like your climber's been there for a consecutive year or two years or three years, I'm going to take it. If, I mean, if the tree has grown, if your tree at the bottom of that tree and it has just grown tight on that climber, right? And it looks like that climber just sat there at the bottom of the tree. I don't see any fresh climb marks or anything. I'm taking it. It's mine. Because to me at that point, it looks abandoned to me. You know, I think it was a perfect example because you'll see it on Hunters, whatever that, Florida, Florida Hunters, Hunters Network. Network. Yeah. Every year at Green Swamp, there's a fella, oh my God, somebody came along and stole my stand. It's been there for years. And I, I read that and I, I, I've learned not to comment on those posts because, you know, you just like, wait, it's not supposed to have been there for years. You, you got to pull it out. I, it's not It's not a question of I've hunted the same area for years. I'm pretty sure that guy is saying, I've left that stand in the woods for years, and now somebody had the audacity to take it. And I guess that's kind of my point. Like right now, season's over, but it's still January, so I can understand that you know it's supposed to be out, but a guy's just been busy. Man, you go wander around, take your pick. In June, that stand is not supposed to be there. You have neglected it. Now I understand that you might hunt the same place next fall and hope it's still there. But at, 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 at some point, your stand has become litter. And I and people say, well, then FWC should take it out. Man, they got limited resources, right? Because it shouldn't be there. And you can't lay claim to the whole area the next season. Go ahead. First off, my mom always said, if it ain't yours, don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. fair. No, that's fair. And but when does it become off, litter? Fair. When and is second it Second off, I got some people, neighbors that uh, I hunt up in Steenhatchie. And... Um, they're about 87 years old, and they hunt the same ladder stands year in and year out. They cannot physically pull their ladder stands out anymore. They're not Public capable. Fair enough. You know what I mean? So how are you going to feel if you walk out there, this 87-year-old, this stand's gone? That's somebody's, somebody's <laughs> is, is granddaddy. On, hmm. I'll, be, I'll be upset. Land? Public land, yeah. Public land? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I, I don't know that I would take somebody's stands off public land, but, you know, I leased a piece of property. Oh, yeah, at least that's... In southeast Georgia, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, we went out there after we paid our lease and we were the leaseholders for that property. Start wandering around. I'm like, huh, there's a stand over there in that tree. There's a stand in this tree. There's this over here. So on and so forth. We find feeders. We find stands. So I called the company that I was leasing from and I said, hey, what am I supposed to do with this stuff? They said, oh, well, the property hasn't been leased in three years. It's considered abandoned. You can do it with what you want. Now Even we come clearly find, it's not abandoned. <laughs> well, yeah, no, we come to find out that the the 
club who'd been leasing the property that surrounded it on three sides had been hunting without leasing it. Uh, and we gave them their stands back. Um, after arguing with them, they came in and actually trespassed and took one of the stands. And I got them on trail camera doing so. Which would be poaching. I mean, that's what they're doing on your property. They were they're trespassing. Poaching. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, it wasn't deer season. They were trespassing. Even, the, I'm saying, the years prior, the reason they Oh, yeah, they, they were poaching. Yeah, yeah they knew t- what they were doing. Trespassing, uh, armed trespass. They knew what they were doing. They knew there they was a lot of stuff property. they were in trouble for, though. And man, I would say a private lease is a little different ballgame than public land. That yeah. that hunting club was on the verge of losing their was it six thousand acre lease, something like that. Six thousand uh, acres. I thought they were. Or no, no, maybe it was the other one that was closer to nine. No, it was, so, I think that not it was closer to eight or nine. Was, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, call them out right now. Curry Ford. Well, I can't remember. Had 6,000 and... Bill Curry Ford? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's what that, I thought. Yeah, yeah, Georgia, right? uh, Curry Ford was the name of one of the roads It was the there. road. Oh, okay. Um, and then... Uh, man. What was the name of, of uh, the other... Nick's, Nick Club. They had about 10,000 acres. Yeah, they were I close know, to 10. Huh? Tibbet Creek. Tibbet Creek. Yep. Yeah, Tibbet Creek. Those guys. So this is this is two separate. Now that dog was a jam upset. Yeah, this was two there. separate dog clubs in southeast <clears throat> Georgia. Curry Ford was a bunch of local guys, and they ran their six thousand acre lease, and like they were a bunch of local guys. I had a lot of issues with trespassing from them, um, and I had it all documented on trail camera and everything else. I mean, trucks five six hundred yards deep in a row of pines, yeah. where there was no road. Um, and we had our ins and outs with them, uh, about several different things up there. But, uh, is that basically like waging war with the locals when you start kicking them off the yeah. land they've been hunting forever? Uh, well, kind of. <laughs> and, and on top of that, the guy that ran that club ran the local feed store. So I had to go oh, to the next shit. county over to buy my corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So, but go ahead, Jordan. But didn't you at one point go to the feed store and say something to him? <clears throat> Oh yeah, no. I came. I went That's to. That's how his, you met him. Was yeah. at the feed store. Yeah. So this is this is kind of funny. He was trying to lease the same six hundred acre piece that I had leased, and he was actually in contact with the leasing company and talked them down like ten or fifteen cents an acre. And then when it came up for lease, I leased it for ten or fifteen cents an acre cheaper than what it was listed for because they thought that I was him. So I leased it right after I leased him. <laughs> oh boy! No wonder he didn't <laughs> like you. Bad blood from the beginning. Yeah, huh? bad oh, yeah, blood. He from didn't the like us that much. Uh, they they weren't they weren't too fond of us, but they didn't have much of a choice but to get along with us because we were right. They had us on three sides, and then Tibbet Creek had us on the other side. And uh, but Tibbet Creek Hunt Club, those guys were out of Jacksonville, and they were leasing dang near ten thousand acres. And I know when they took yeah. over our two hundred acre piece after we left, they yep. had a little over two thousand mm-hmm. or ten thousand acres. Those guys were some jam up dudes. Yeah, like thirty oh, yeah. guy thirty something guys on a ten thousand acre dog hunt lease, and they were killing. They killed a 13-point in the last year. Oh, we got yeah. There. They wow. killed a couple Dude, of big ones. They were killing some straight monsters in front of oh, dogs. Oh, yeah. But Nick, the guy that ran that place, did a really good job of making sure that those guys were not shooting the first thing that stepped out in front of dogs. Yeah. Um, and, those, I mean, I I have never had a more pleasant experience of dealing with guys like that than I did with those guys because we would listen to them on the radio 
We had our own little handheld oh, to listen to them talk on the radio. And you want to talk went, about some entertainment in the tree stand right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen to them guys on the radio. When the dogs would turn towards our property, they would start calling us, hey, the dogs are headed your way. Get ready, get ready, get ready. They're fixing to come across to your clear cut. <laughs> and then, you know, because they know they we're hit, listening. Yeah. I told them we're listening. They give yeah. us a frequency to listen on. They hit the property line and make a turn, a hard turn. <laughs> they knew Every they knew time. they were wait, they were wait, y'all waiting on that's them. that's if we were sitting in the tree stand if one of us was sitting in a tree stand on that property that deer would make a hard turn right right at the property line i could hear the dogs make the turn at the property line right <laughs> but if we were not sitting Your stinky in the stand, ass needs a shower if, if, <laughs> which way is the wind blowing it, it didn't matter any of us it if we nobody was sitting in the stand on that property they'd run right straight through the clear cut Wow. Every time. So going back to the stands, I mean, there's the general consensus. See, hold on. I've never done this, and I don't need the stands. But it does bother me, maybe not as much as a Miller Light can, not a Miller Light can, Bud <clears throat> Light can, because um, I know that some folks are buying Walmart stands. They're not very expensive. They're taking the time to drag the thing out. It's a pain in the butt. They're setting them up. Season's over. And they'd, they'd rather just leave the thing in the woods rather than go get it. I'm going to come kind of come back to my statement. I'm not going to take your double buddy ladder or your single ladder or something like that. But if you leave your doghouse ground blind or your climber for multiple years, I'm taking your climber. I can guarantee it. If it, if it looks like it's been there for years in a row, I'm taking your climber. So, uh, but your ladder stand, I can understand leaving a ladder stand. I, I'm not, I, I don't want to come in there year in and year out and move a ladder stand. At, at yeah, but that, that's your, you are now saying that I, I got it out there and because it's hard or because I want to hunt here again next year, you don't have, it's next year. You don't have any more. That's not how that works right though on public, right? That's not how I mean. You, you, you can't just haul it leave out. it. Yeah, you can't. It's the point. P- people do, and people do, people do create this sense of ownership that that doesn't exist, and they get offended when all of a sudden somebody traipses on it. And I can understand how that happens, but that's kind of the point. Is and, you, and to John, to your point, man, if I knew that that was an eighty-seven-year-old fella that's coming out there and been hunting for a hundred years. I would turn a blind eye to it too, just because the guy's he's earned a pass. Though admittedly, that's all that's the whole subjective nature of this thing, right? Is letter of the law, season's over, stand comes out, end of story. But civil discourse, I guess that's what I'm coming into. What length of time following the close of the season can you assuming there's also no identifying markers like the guy doesn't have his name and address and phone number on there like you're supposed to, right? None of that's there, right? It's a stand. You've walked past it a dozen times, never seen anybody in it. It's mid-June. The ratchet straps are falling apart. I don't know. So, By mid-June, they won't be. Hey, so this man, I'm still in great shape. I think you should be able to walk out of there with that thing. I think you're kind of doing the public service. So I'm going to say that. Even if you scrap it or give it away. By the letter of the law, after deer season ends, you automatically at that point assume the risk that someone can come and take your deer stand. You lose ownership at that right. point because right. you've 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 abandoned you've dropped your side of the deal of right. hunting public land. Using private land leases, I don't know, I've had a couple 
our lease says you got 60 days or 30. This I can't remember exactly. It doesn't matter. Anything that's on the lease this many days after we decide not to renew is the landowners. Yeah, you right. lack you lack ownership at that point yeah. because yeah. you've given up the right. Is basically so, what it says. I'll tell you a funny story about that that piece we leased. We had the few stands. The, there were a couple of ladder stands out there. And then we come across this box stand that is placed mm-hmm. right in the very, like, corner of the property where the only viable shooting options were to shoot across the property line. And if you're hunting the property around it, it didn't really matter. But we're trying to hunt our property. So I look at that box stand. I'm like, that's a decent box stand. Be a shame if somebody was to move it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... We, Twice. we yeah we picked it up with a tractor the first time laid it onto a trailer moved it over and stood it back up in the middle of our property hunted it while we had that entire 600 acre piece and then we left we when we stopped leasing the 600 acre piece we hooked it up with a bunch of some ratchet straps and a rope to the front of a Toyota AJ's Toyota little pickup truck oh my goodness and lowered that sucker down by standing at the feet so he could drive forward lay it down onto a trailer and then drove it over to our 200 acre piece and stood it back up by hand at the back of that 200 acre piece was that on their side of the line but facing your property that was no, on no, no, our it, side of the line facing their property yeah oh oh okay oh yeah okay well, yeah it's on your property yeah but what? there was no there was no feasible way to really hunt that stand where it stood and actually hunt our property. Yeah. It was more designed to sit on our property and hunt their property. 10-4. I've had the other thing where we had a fella, the stand was clearly on their property, but like four feet under their property, but facing our property. Well, what we did is we just turned the stand 180 degrees. <laughs> so, so when it comes to And he left to it that, that, he was cool about it. You know? that, that's like, I mean, that's normal etiquette. Like, you can you can shoot backwards if you're going to be that guy. Like face your stand the the right direction, yeah. and just yeah. not you know. I mean, for lack of a better we, word, don't be a scumbag. You know what I mean? Like I'm. You know, you can probably see, probably see a stand on your property from where their stand is. Like, don't be that guy. I, public like, land's a different story, but if it's if it's pub if it's private, come on, man. Like have a little bit of etiquette. Face your stand the right way. If you don't like it you're probably going to have to have a conversation with me at that point. I'll t- tell you a funny story about stands facing like from opposite properties on your property. When we hunted that piece we had in Tennessee, that little 90 acre piece of property. The neighbor had a, a ladder stand that was literally sitting on his side of the fence facing our property. So we took one of our crappiest lock-ons and put it where you would literally have to sit and look each other in the eye. <laughs> I would I would have sat there too. I would do oh, it. We did. So the whole point of it was it, it took about two weeks. Go back and that ladder stand was gone. I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Then we me, moved ours. I think just as a courtesy, because inevitably, you know, if you got 600 acres, you'd like to be able to hunt all 600 acres. And and we all, we're all hunting each other's deer, right? Because the deer doesn't know the property lines there. Yeah. And uh, But I, my own personal thing is 50 yards. Right, so if you've got fifty yards of wide open space and you can see him coming off other guy's lease is fine, you know. But you, you gotta you, when you're taking the deer, the deer's got to be standing on your side of the line. You know oh, absolutely. I mean? Yeah. So just kind yeah. of a courtesy thing, fifty. Because that way, that way, that other guy, like you said, I mean, that's still pretty close, only a hundred yards away. But in well, certainly in Florida, if you're a hundred yards away, you can be miles from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be shooting each other's dangerous, but you could literally know, not even know the other guy's there. 
I right? tell you. But if you're 50 yards off the property boundary, facing the property boundary, I think you're cool. That's my own personal. You don't have to agree with that, but that's my. We had a, a property at one point in time that had, they had come in with like uh, one of those Davco mowers, which goes on like the front of a skid steer. And it's essentially a bush hog, but the blades hang out in the front of it. And you can just mow down brush. I mean, you can mow down a four inch tree with it. And somebody had come into a small clear cut that was on the edge of our property and made some lanes with a Davco mower and then set a tripod out of 20 yards off our property. And the lane literally crossed our, like they crossed our property line with that Davco mower and made a lane to our property. Would be pretty shitty if they put like orange tags right on the property line. So they could yeah. watch the deer walk down the shooting lane, well, and then once it crossed over, well, boom! This was this was prior to us having any kind of plumbing at this camp. Okay. So we had a bucket for a couple weeks. We would come I love, up. I love where this it was is a month going. or so. Yeah, that we would piss in. Right. And yeah. then before we would leave, we'd take that bucket and just dump it all over their property around their stand. So. Just, when it comes to that, like like I said, I don't have a problem with them hunting like a property line, but like have a little bit of morality. Like it's just not right. At, yeah, exactly. At you you like, know, there's a little voice talking to you. When now, you're now, like I, that. now, don't get me wrong. I have hunted a property line, but like I said, it's it's not. I can't see. I'm not to the point where I can shoot onto the neighbor's property. Yeah. But like I said, I think that just comes down to the fact of, do you really care? Like, do you want to have be you know cordial with your neighbors, or do you just not care at all? Because yeah. for me, on our lease in Georgia, one of the pieces of land that we have, it's a uh, it's just a giant field. It's usually cotton or peanuts or whatever you know whatever they plant that year. It's massive, and we don't have any woods. We don't own any rights to hunt any woods on that piece of land. So in perspective, we're shooting the neighbor's deer, whether he likes it or not. If they come out eating that cotton before dark, we're shooting them on our land. That we lease, that. that we do all that stuff on. But at the same time, you were talking about earlier about do you piss off the natives, right? I've oh, yeah, the local my dad my dad my dad, my grandfather, and now myself, we've leased land in that area of Georgia for going on 15 years. Not the same place, but different leases because of, you know, okay, well, this guy doesn't want to lease us this year because of this. You know, whatever he wants. Someone else will pay more. Someone will do this. So we move, right? I have people on my, on my page on a regular basis from the state of Georgia that will bash the ever-living hell out of me for paying for at least a hunt out of state. Mm. Oh, at like this year, I shot that 10-point in Georgia. Oh, because you're killing their deer? Well, yeah. I, I'm just pissed. He's right to my picture. Well, you know, me being like prof- trying to be somewhat professional, like, you know, okay, well, what are you pissed about? He could have shot me an IM. I would have had no problem with it. I'll met him face to face. We can talk about it if it's really that big of a deal. But to go at it publicly on some, you know, I mean, I, I treat it like a business. You know, I try to be as professional as I can be with while being funny, you know, blah, 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 back and forth. And he just starts bashing me. Well, that's a four-year-old. I hate the fact that, that deer's dead. I hate the fact that you killed that deer with a rifle. I hate the fact that 
that you come out of state to hunt deer. And I said, I hate the fact that I don't hunt the way that you prefer. But last time I checked, I don't, everything that I've done is legal. That's a Georgia boy saying that to you? Oh, Georgia boys bashed the living hell out of Florida boys around where we're Uh, at. Yeah, I know. That happens all over, man. Dude, most, I was going to say as far as all that goes, They do not like us because I kill a pile of them Georgia deer. I tell you, they're (laughs) good ones too. (laughs) So let me give you, let me give you both sides of the fence on that. From a guy who's paid the 300, was it $340 for an out-of-state license, something like that? Yeah. Uh, 340. It's almost four hundred. Yeah, because you got to pay. Almost four hundred bucks. You got to buy the big game license to begin with. It's a hundred bucks, and you can shoot pigs with that one. Yeah. Then you got to pay an additional two forty eight, I think, for big game and deer license. It's basically like a uh, cover you for turkey too. Yep. Basically, big game license for state of Georgia. Regardless, it hurts. Oh, absolutely. Right for an out of state hunter. But I've also been the guy who's been fortunate enough to pay the. Oh my gosh, it hurts the seventy five dollars. For the state resident sportsman's license, I've ne- never paid for one of those in my life. To be honest with you, in in Georgia, because I oh, lived there for well, two that years. Would, that would be nice. All right, so seventy five bucks. <laughs> Whoa! You don't have a Florida sportsman? No, I'm a go- I'm a gold. Uh, Florida gold. gold. Yeah, that's I've had yeah, that, that since that, I was that's a lifetime. License. Seven, uh, I think seven or eight years old. My dad bought. Oh, you got it a life? You got a lifetime? License? Lifetime gold. Okay, so my dad's the goat. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been fortunate enough to have lived in Georgia for a couple of year, a few years and, and been able to buy the state resident license at 75 bucks. And I look at the public land and the quality of deer, just in the area that I was in that was around me and the public land opportunities I was afforded. Dude, I had three WMAs within an hour and 15 minute drive of my house. And Georgia gives you 12 deer tags and it's not like florida where it's like oh well this 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 wma is different than that wma no 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 no. state rules hunting state park that might be a little different wma for the most part is going to be whatever the state says well and and just piggybacking off of that so you can shoot i want to say it's 12 deer total in georgia Right, something like that. I thought yeah. it was two bucks nine does, but it might be two it's, bucks. It's two bucks. Does. It's two bucks and ten does. Ten okay, does? so that's what it was. Twelve deer total. I haven't shot a doe in the state of Georgia in seven years. I'm about, the, I'm about the. I'm about this year. I'm about. <laughs> I'm about the best Florida hunter that you could possibly want around your place. I'm gonna shoot one buck a year. I don't. I've shot two bucks in one year, once. So. Period. What I was getting at is the state of Florida has more public land than the state of Georgia, mm-hmm. right? And that is there the the numbers don't lie, but the ease of access to the public land in Georgia and the ease of the rules and the fact that guys kill monsters every year off of public land in the state of Georgia, and you got guys that still want to complain. Well, yeah, I'm sh- yeah, no, I am. 100% more willing to pay more for a lease in Georgia than somebody that lives there. But on the same hand, I might be willing to pay a dollar more an acre than you are. So we'll talk, we'll say 300 acres, right? It's going to cost me 300 more dollars to lease that place than it costs a resident. But it also costs me 200 dollars $300 more to buy the license. So there's another six hundred dollars. Yeah, and you're, and gas. you're eating Georgia restaurants. You're buying uh, yeah. Georgia gas, gas back and forth. Georgia beer. I mean, right. gas back and forth. I'll make, I'll make eight to ten trips a year. 
easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just I mean, it's five-hour drive. It's drives. the economy. Like, yeah. you, you can't hate on as much as – and I understand. Because we do it here in Florida. We're like, ah, quit people. Wish people would quit moving to Florida. Right? Because yeah, but we ain't staying there. No, we're not. But the thing <laughs> is, it's, it's on the same. Yeah, it's right. on the same hand. We go right? back home. <laughs> it's on the same hand that the, the people in Georgia, and I completely understand it. They wish that people, the people from out of state, would quit coming leasing up all their land because they want to lease more land. I, mean, I get that. Well, on the, like to kind of put the shoe on the other foot, there. Uh, you know, we talk about you know out of state people coming from out of state and drawing turkey permits here, mm-hmm. and versus residents that's taken away. So, I mean, you've you got a WMA, say they, I mean, for example, 10 for just a number to throw out there. They give out 10 permits to hunt that place. Well, what happens if nine people from out of state draw that? I mean, do they check? I mean, this, so that's just kind of putting the shoe on the other foot kind of thing. I was going to say definitely in Florida, your closest comparison is, is, is going to come to, to turkey hunting because you have way more people coming to kill Osceola's than you would have to try and come kill Florida deer. So, the oddly best. enough, if I go look into my phone, I could probably find it. I got a report from uh, the head honcho turkey biologist, and they actually went and got those numbers. Actually, no, it wasn't head. Uh, it was actually Paul Schrein. I apologize. He's the public land fellow. And he sent me all the data about licenses. And what makes it challenging is, like, so if you buy the Sportsman Gold license, you may never have turkeys, but you still get counted as a turkey license holder. Right, so they have combo licenses, and then you've got um, turkey only licenses. So in Florida, and then you've got non-resident. There's actually non-resident combos, I guess. I think, but there's then there's non-resident turkey licenses. And what's really strange about that is the number of non-resident turkey licenses, although it it ebbs and flows, has been reasonably consistent over the last i don't know how many years i got 20 years of data so but then there's no way to know are they hunting how many of those guys are coming down and hunting leases and how many of these people are hunting publics there may have been a little uptick but i think that's also part of the reason right now where they're going to get into the turkey checking where'd you kill it where's your location you know blah 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 so that they have that data over time but from the from the data that is out there right now that they do have, um, it would be a pretty, it'd be a stretch to suggest that there's more people coming here from out of state to kill Osceola's now than there were 20 years ago. All right, before we get too petty on this and start losing listeners in the state of Georgia, I just want to let you guys know we absolutely love those Georgia residents because without you, we, we couldn't pay... <laughs> We couldn't pay you an outrageous amount to lease your property to kill some awesome deer, and I, I really count on the state of Georgia to help me fill my freezer every year. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this up and, and head on into the tip of the week. So who wants to go first? Tip of the week for if you're a new hunter, just get after it, man. <laughs> no griping, no griping about how hard it is. Just go out to the woods. Right? That's my favorite part, man. Getting out there and sweating. Figure ass it off. out. Yeah, <laughs> Boots on the ground's the only way you're going to do it. Absolutely. Yep, and uh, what's his name? Jocko Willink. 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 Jocko. I've watched all. He's the got his thing about Jocko Wilkins. YouTube and all that stuff. Yeah. Lot, Went outside and kill nothing. Around. Good. You learned something. Yeah. So I'm yeah, gonna go absolutely. ahead and say one thing that we've learned so far in the the podcast is that 
the boosting a Facebook post can one hundred percent be worth it, right? Because our crawfish boil took off. It was going nowhere. We boosted it. We had what eighty nine people show up, right? And then we boosted Pit the uh, one hunt, and then Jacob found us because we boosted a post. So I mean, even if you find one person outside of it, you're 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 recruiting people. Always works out for you. Don't be afraid to boost a post if you got a page. So I'll say, don't let R three stop with you, right? Especially as a new hunter, you you got into it. You've learned. You, you want to look at it and you think, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. But you've been five times. That's five times more experience than the guy who's never hunted before. So if you got another buddy. Take them with you, right? I'll tell you what, kind of helping you out here. 90% of the time, I've always enjoyed learning something new with a buddy. Yeah. Right? Learn. I mean, it's just that much easier to, to come across. You even have somebody to kind of conversate with about it. If you go in there, Arthur, and, and you take somebody with you, even if you're five hunts in and you've never hunted before and you take a buddy with you you're learning together you have somebody to brainstorm off of bounce around theories yeah perspective exactly perspective you have multiple people you have more Mm -hmm. perspectives it always works out all right who's up next Uh, i'll take it uh mine is uh don't be afraid to be friendly you know you you don't have to you don't have to guard your spot or whatever and you know you stop and Hey man, how you how you, do, you have you have any luck today at the boat ramp on the way out from the woods at the check station? Just you know, be nice. You might learn something. They might give you a little bit of information. You might give them a little bit, and it it helps everybody out. And it's just be friendly. A lot of people, especially like on Facebook, everybody's all rude and oh, I'm not gonna tell you nothing. You got to go out there and do it yourself. You know, especially for a new hunter, he might just be. You know, we talked about the FWC app, and sometimes it's hard to find some place where you can actually go. So, you know, I mean, you don't have to give them your A1 spot or say, hey, man, look for this when you're out, you know? What, what's Something funny about like Briars, I've seen, like, we've gotten to the boat ramp at 4 in the morning to get out to a spot on the lake. And sure enough, 30 minutes before first light, somebody would come motoring up, and, you know, they ask, do you mind if... You watch Briar's body language. He doesn't want to tell him no. <laughs> he didn't want to send him packing, man. <laughs> it's, it's painful. So other people in the boat are like, no. <laughs> Move on. So I'll tell you, you talk about being friendly. I have learned more from the old guys at the check station about where to find the deer than I have. Just, dude, I literally used to make it a habit of mine to go sit at the check station while I hunted in Kentucky to just talk to the old men that would go gather around the picnic table because they reach a point where they're like, yeah, I've killed plenty of big deer. I'll tell you where you can find one. Kind of. They're like, if you go hunt over here, kind of near this area, you'll find a big buck, but you're going to have to find him on your own. But that's a whole lot more information I have when I started. Yeah, yeah absolutely. exactly. That's what I'm getting at. All right. Who's up? So I'll, I'll go next. So piggybacking off of that a little bit. So, you don't have to always be that guy that's like, you know, oh, I'm not going to give you that information like you said, right? You know, give a little bit, 
you're probably going to receive a little bit, right? So it's like that karma game. But another thing, hunt how you want. Whether it's ducks, oh, yeah. bucks, rabbits, squirrels, snipe, dove. We've talked about all of it. Don't tell me how to do what I want to do when it comes to hunting. The only way to hunt wrong is to not hunt, period. Yep. Remember that. I feel like that's one of those things that social media has corrupted a little bit. Like, you, oh, that's a small buck. But that, that person that shot that buck is probably the happiest person on the planet when he's holding those horns. It doesn't matter how big they are. Um, I, I see it all the time. And as a community, we have to stick together because at the end of the day, all hunters are hunters. There's a lot of people that are against us. There's a lot of people that support us. But we all have to be a community at the end of the day. To add, add to that, you know, you talked about, you know, horn size, you know, it. it's not always about that, you know. As long as you're out there in the woods and enjoying yourself, and like you said, man, it's it's only a trophy in your eyes. Yep, it's you the, it's a trophy in the eye of the beholder. Yep. Period. That's what a trophy is. It doesn't matter if you know world record or that spike horn for that kid. You know, Jim, Jake. Yeah, I'll go, man. Um, so we were chatting about sixteen gauge and how there's no ammo. Well, man, if you've been walking around for a lot of things, there's no 12 gauges, no 20 gauges. <laughs> um, guys, for 60 bucks, you can go online and buy a Lee single stage loader. Um, and then you can buy your components. Long story short, I've done the math, man. If you've got your own shells, you can be reloading just about anything you want with lead for about eight bucks a box. So maybe you can go out and find nine shot and target loads and things, but you ain't shooting, you know, number three. You're not going to be shooting number four and number five lead ammo for eight bucks a box. But it's also not just the price. I mean, it's just sometimes availability. You know, so go out and get yourself, spend the money, go out and buy 50 pounds of lead shot or whatever you want. You can buy the wads. There's all kind of recipes. Alliant Powder puts them out. Hogden puts the recipes out. So you can have the right primers, right powder, right wads for whatever size loads that you want to crank out. You want to. You want to light them up because you're going to go out and shoot three rounds of skeet one day. You can do that. But it's another way to give yourself control and make sure that you're never out of ammo. There's recipes out there for guys that want to shoot bismuth. Um, to make that cost com- cost efficient versus, say, just going to Boss Ammo and buying their copper-plated stuff, you probably got to get out there and buy enough to load a 1,000 rounds, so you probably want to chip in with some buddies and again it's not just about the price because there's certain times that even though boss might be throwing a fairly decent deal on bismuth they just ain't got it so the short the short and sweet tip is go buy a lead load all or you can go out and get one of these multi-stage presses but learning how to reload especially shotgun ammo it isn't that complex and you will eliminate your i can't find it needs i'm gonna say before you dive into reloading it you can buy it, but research, 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 research. Make sure you're doing proper powder loads. Make sure you're putting the proper amount of am, you know, the proper amount of shot in there. Make sure you're doing everything right before you go sending random shots through your shotgun. Jake, hit us, hit us with that hard tip. Here's the hard tip of the week. You can go to Seven Eleven, buy a 16 ounce cup of coffee for two forty nine. 
or you can take a thermos in there that holds two cu- two pots of coffee for a dollar forty nine, and that's your mm-hmm. tip of the week. Listen, there it is. When it comes to hunting early in the morning, two two pots of coffee versus one cup. I'm in. I mean, for a dollar less, can't beat it. That'll make a poop, <laughs> but it'll also make a hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Carry your toilet paper too. <laughs> yeah, I always keep that in the pack. I have to. So before we round this out for the week, man, we have one more small game hum, come, uh, hunt coming up on February fifth in the Ocala National Forest. You guys should definitely come up there and join us for that. It's the last one of the season, and it's going to be a good one. And then after that, your next event with Under Pressure Outdoors is going to be the second annual Crawfish Bowl. And uh, that'll be more crawfish than you can eat, unless you're from Louisiana, then maybe not. But we're going to try. We had 80-something people show up last time. It'd be great if we could double it. Yeah, we we cooked 160 pounds last year. We'd love Mm. to have to cook more than that. Did you eat it all? No. 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 No, some went home for leftovers. Whoever, look, if you showed up last year and you wanted to take some home, you could. Yeah. And we sat there. I literally sat there and shucked and ate a dang seventy-five quart cooler with Sid Tyson and Jordan and Jim. We ate it by our dang selves, and we had a grand old time. I say when we were sitting there with Sid, I'd be willing to bet that we each ate two to three pounds just at that portion of the event. But there was, I don't know how much we ate just clean off the table with sitting around with everybody else with the potatoes and the corn and the sausage. And Oh, listen, and we run it true Louisiana style. We're going to stack them tables end to end and it's going to be dumped right down the middle and you awesome. pick out and eat it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all there is to it. This is, this is a, if you're not uh, social, you're going to have to be social. Oh, yeah. You're going to sit next to somebody you don't know and you're going to eat the same crawfish they're eating. But it's it's good though because you get to meet a lot of people you wouldn't otherwise have met, and it's a good time. Good and conversation, good food. What was the date on that? That's, that's right. going to be May seventh. <laughs> More hunting spots. May seventh, uh, and it's going to be a good time. Yeah, and don't feel bad if you feel like showing up with your own turkey fryer because we will use it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. You, you know, know what I'll, I'll, what I'll, I'll be doing. We got the better. You know what I'll be doing May seventh, twenty twenty two. You're coming turkey. to crawfish. I'll be eating a bunch of crawfish. Yes, eating a bunch sir. of crawfish. <laughs> Glad to have you. But, uh, dude, I, that is one thing on the calendar right now that I am totally looking forward to. I can't oh, yeah. to dive into those crawfish. We're gonna need to. We're gonna need to nominate a crawfish runner. My buddy Jay, who lives up there, that wanted to come down. He is the past, whatever, like, most worshipful master or whatever. He's a mason, like I don't know, thirty ninth level mason or something like that. And they they're doing uh, a chapter installment or some. Some Scottish right. I don't know what they're doing, but he's got a big Mason event in Mississippi that week. So our our crawfish transport is down. Well, I will be letting Ridge know he's making the Cannibal second run. annual run for crawfish. And it, it's funny because I we brought up. We should make that an event in itself as Ridge running to Louisiana to get the crawfish. Like right. a, like a like caravan? You can follow him on Facebook as he <laughs> when, goes. Yeah, we need live updates. Uh, <laughs> We'd send Cameron Gordon to be his blocker. It looks just like Jerry Reed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I uh, I brought up to Ridge that he might not have to drive to Louisiana this year, and he said, "Oh man, I really enjoyed that part of it." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> sorry, bud, but 
No, so he he actually probably would be pretty excited. So I'll let him know that he's going to have to make a run again and uh, get us more crawfish. Good. Because my wife said, you're not making that run. I was like, eh. no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming and joining us. Yeah. Glad y'all can make it out.